0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this month's Monero Meet for February 2022. Thank you for joining us. There is a lot going on in the Monero ecosystem. Those privacy transactions just keep working their way up. We had the Coindesk Privacy Week, and of course, it's just Data Privacy Week across the board where Monero is quite well represented. So I think we're we're doing pretty well. Um, today, you have myself, Justin, you have Arctic Mine. Hi, Arctic Mine.
1: And uh, myself. All right. <clears throat> Hello,
0: Arctic Mine. Hello, Need Money Ninety.
1: Hello, I'm here
2: too.
0: And we have Co. Um, we should also should have VT Nerd joining on in a second here, but uh, you know if they get on. Same with Seth. Um, you know how it is. We're doing it. We're doing this one a little bit later today uh, than normal, just because it just helps with my time, my own schedule. <laughs> um, I had a question that came in before we started, and I just wanted to read that here. Um, it said, "I have a question for the Monero research team and development. Um, are you developing a more secure I2P Tor or onion using Ring CT? Because they are worried that Tor has been compromised." Um, it's a little, you know, quite a bit to unpack there. I would say, uh, but I would say largely, uh, Monero uses. I mean, it implemented Dandelion plus plus on its core transaction relay setup, so that way, even if you're not thinking about it your transaction relays have better privacy than if, you know, you're using some more stupid, less privacy conscious protocol. But Monero still does rely, if, you know, if someone wants to on I2P and Tor, I2P zero is the common implementation for that. And uh, Tor is just built in if you want to use with the GUI and stuff. So it's not that Monero doesn't use these things. It's just that Monero is not reliant on them. So it's, you know, I know there are quite a few different (laughs) aspects to your, question there um although i would say largely though monero is not trying to make its own like mixnet thing at this time who knows if that'll change but uh i guess i you know good question for the room to start does anyone here have opening comments on Mixnets
1: and things well, I, I think that that's a little out of scope for the Monero product in and of itself. Uh, we should be plugging into existing solutions in the space as opposed to trying to roll everything ourselves. Um, I think there's something to be said about overextending our development efforts. Um, if if somebody decides to using CT in a way that can create a better anonymity protocol for exploring uh, the Internet, that would be fantastic but i would i would say it's probably out of scope for the project at this point unless it, it grows incredibly in uh, in scope
0: i mean to some extent we tried to do that <laughs> with covery right and that was mm-hmm. a lot of effort for a lot of pain <laughs> really um, arctic mine do you have a comment
3: Yes, I do. Um, One of the things to consider here, which is really important, which has actually came out in in the issue with Covery, is that an anonymity network such as Tor uh, or I2P can be easily DDIs. And so there can be an advantage to send your transactions over Tor, but to synchronize with the Monero network and the ClearNet. Um, And this is where there is an interface where where it's important that we be aware of this point because that was one of the issues that came up with Covery. And one of the problems with uh, anonymity networks with no pricing, because as far as I understand it, a total is enough pricing, is that without pricing, you can DDoS those things fairly easily. So that's kind of my thought on this. There is an interface element, and there is a security element for Monero that we need to be aware of. that is one of the mitigations that was considered. Definitely at the time of Covery, that was very much uh, considered.
0: I kind of would need Money90 on this one, though, because even though, uh, and that's not to say I'm not on your side as well, I? Um, but I'd say broadly in terms of this question, sure, there are people in the Monero ecosystem that are familiar with a lot of the basics when it comes to, Network propagation. They can look at Dandelion plus plus as it comes out and figure out how to implement it and if it's a good idea and do some tests and those sorts of things. That expertise is available in working in the Monero space. But when it comes to building everything from scratch in, in the way that you try to like replace Tor, that gets really really complex. And 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 even though you have some Tor enthusiasts that are also Monero enthusiasts and ITP enthusiasts that are Monero enthusiasts as well. You know, it's it's a big ask to sort of rip all of that out and to try to make make our own thing, roll our own thing is <laughs> to some extent. No so solution. Yeah, yeah. It's uh there's a lot of people that need network privacy and there are a lot of other people trying to do that. And sure there's limitations, but I'm not yet convinced we can do it better.
3: <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that. And I want to make this very clear. What I'm saying is if we accept that there's a compromise risk and pull. Uh, or in I2P, um, that we adapt to that risk by, uh, if we're concerned about it, by trans by sinking over the clear net, if possible, and sending the transaction over TOR. That's kind of, that's what I'm saying. So that in order to protect the security of the net, well, that's different from trying to replace the, the structure of TOR itself. So I just want to make that clear. I mean, it's definitely a distinction here.
0: Got it. Awesome. Um, Any other comments on this before we move on? Um, you know, again, Dandelion++ has been live for a bit. It's awesome. And you can optionally use Tor and I2P if you really want to as well, which is also awesome. <laughs> so trust the one you want. <laughs> or use your own VPN or whatever you want to do. Um, I, I do think um, as far as I2P0 integration with the GUI, I think... We haven't really taken that to the full extent that I would like to see that to, to be run. Also, hey, VT nerd, welcome. Can you hear us just fine? Yeah, I can hear you. What about? Perfect. Yeah, we can hear you as well. Uh, we we're just talking, we're, we're just wrapping up a conversation about Monero's uh, transaction privacy on the network level when it comes to Dandelion, ITP, and Tor one commenter doesn't trust Tor and I2P. So they were like, is Monero going to do their own? And we're like, well, I don't know, probably not. But, I, I, you know, do you have any other thoughts on that, Lee?
4: Well, I mean, that's that's a pretty big undertaking. I mean, there's also, I guess, new net. I don't know that they, that's a little different. So, I mean, Monero's plugin, the way it works is it could be extendable to any number of different networks as long as they speak SOX proxy. So um, I know there was one other project I wasn't. I didn't think anything was going to come up, it. But there was another project trying to create a new style tour, and the idea was it would be geared to this type of messaging. Uh, they were at. Um, I met this group. Uh, you, I, I, th- I think actually Doug interviewed them when they were at. Um, what, what was the Fluffy Ponies? Uh, you know Ricardo's big uh, conference they had with the other Bitcoin guys like Samson uh the magical crypto conference uh so you you can find them online talking about this because i'm pretty sure that that doug interviewed them if you go through the back catalog and so i don't remember the name of their project they emailed me once but uh they they, the problem is they're basically starting from ground zero so it's like imagine just restarting tour i mean (laughs) um but as far as any line plus plus uh but I, I guess was was a person's concern that they prefer to use Anyland plus over Tor, or because the way it works is it you have if you use Tor, the the remote side you can't control it, but the remote side of you're running a standard daemon, it then uses Anyland plus on the remote side. So,
0: no, I think it, it the question was very very general. It was very very generic. They they asked just to give you an idea if we would build a network privacy layer using Ring CT, which doesn't oh. make much sense,
4: right? So, right, so it's no.
0: I, they, I think they just were very much asking a broad <laughs> question.
4: I I think the reason why there was always a separate project in Covery is because it's not something you want to bake into the demon. I mean, that's like um you, you don't just put the entire kitchen sink in one in one mono project, so uh, but we will I I have been trying to do encrypted P2P networks, but it's not going to be anything like Tor. It's just going to be so that the links are encrypted, but there's not going to be any type of obfuscating IP addresses and that kind of thing. It's just going to be um, direct hopped. You send a dandelion, but the difference is the the link, so the ISP won't see the traffic, I guess, would be the only difference would be in that scenario. Um, but nothing at all like Tor or whatever this user was suggesting. Yep.
0: Yep, That was. I think we're all kind of on the same page here. Any final comments on... Monero's network privacy, I think, by and large, Monero's covered the basics there at least, and there's always room to go, like you said, with the default encryption or optional encryption of some more of this packet data. But at the end of the day, like,
4: has uh, this might be a question for Arctic Mine? Has any other project even gone as far as Monero has? I mean, as soon as we do P2P encryption, I, I think we may be like the furthest along, even more than because Bit- I guess Bitcoin does have Tor integration and all that somewhere now, don't they? But I don't know that anyone has even done dandelion plus 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 tour and all the other stuff.
3: I'm not sure about that. I uh, that dandelion plus plus is on Bitcoin, if I understand correctly. No, it's I not on Bitcoin. They they no.
2: they no. had
4: a a dandelion uh, original version, and it never got merged, and no one ever did an updated version of it for whatever reason, and then. Mm. Um, a bunch of projects took the Dandelion non-merged patch and applied it, and claimed it was Dandelion Plus Plus, but it wasn't. It was slightly different. Um, yeah.
2: So, so, so
3: it's just like what happened with RingCT way back when it was originally a confidential transactions so were originally designed for Bitcoin, and then um, it was not merged into Bitcoin, and then it ended up being modified for Monero. Um, yeah, I, I honestly I don't know the answer um, to that. Uh, but I'm suspecting that we may be the only one. If that's the case, I thought Bitcoin had implemented it. Honestly, I, would, you know, I was kind of- well.
4: The the authors did they they did all the legwork and they had a PR, and mm-hmm. it just kind of went nowhere. And then I think it was because the Bitcoin authors then suggested a bunch of changes. They then wrote Denny plus plus, but I guess they just figured it wasn't going to get merged, so they just wrote the paper but didn't do an implementation.
0: Mm-hmm. Weird.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I go so far as to say we're the only ones that have dandelion plus plus, but we're certainly the largest coin that does. Like, there's, I sure swear like, there's a GoLang implementation of one project, but I can't remember now. But yeah, it, it's it, I guess what I'm saying is there's very few projects that have done the amount of work Monero is doing and is planning to do. So it's it's kind of it, like I, I don't even know what to compare it to because they're like, oh, it's not enough. But like, what are you even comparing that to? <laughs> uh, Monero's not good
0: enough. Let me just use Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I just want to give a quick reminder too that uh, oh, someone someone here might remember the name of the individual who posted a course, so to speak, on privacy coins, of which 80% was all about Monero and 20% was Bitcoin and Zcash combined. Um, but they referenced all the main Breaking Monero episodes in that one. So it's it's kind of funny that among... You know, the, the 20 hours of content wherever they had six or more of it was Breaking Monero. <laughs> it was just kind of funny. So if you haven't watched that yet, please watch Breaking Monero. You'll get sick of my voice, but you do need to watch it. And there are transcripts on the on the uh, Monero Outreach website too, which um, I think they tried to include the diagrams in those too, but you'll definitely want to look at the diagrams. But anyway, Co. sorry for not introducing, like, Mentioning you earlier, but uh, do you want to give an update on all the fun stuff that's going on in, in your side of the world on, on the Monero side of things?
2: Uh, sure. <clears throat> well, me personally, I've been working on my Serapis library. Um, I implemented Jamtis in its current iteration with some slight changes. And I'm working on getting it working so that I can actually make like transactions with it. Um, in terms of the MRL, uh, we have been discussing fees, I guess, with our decline. Uh, not much else on that front. So with, with fees, I guess I brought up a uh, concern that if transaction volume gets really, really big, then nodes will start to struggle, like low end nodes will start to struggle. And so there may be like network instabilities when this kind of thing happens. So difficulties with users connecting to nodes because nodes are behind the network. So then users have to connect to like a limited subset of nodes which implies some kind of centralizing force, or um, yeah, it's basically kind of pressure towards centralization of the network when when there's resource constraints for like the gen- general population of nodes out there. So that's kind of the concern I brought up, and then Arctic has been discussing it with us, about, about like how we can deal with that.
3: One of the questions that I thought is that there may be an option to price transactions. So rather than a low frequency node, a a, a node that's lagging, just simply connects with less people, it's still a sense transactions that are um, higher paying. So it's prioritized by by transaction fee rather than by just trying to reach as many people and not do it well. So you sort of do a good job on a subset of the transactions rather than um, attempt to uh, do a poor job on the whole thing. I mean, I think this is an area of interesting research. I mean, can we actually use pricing uh, and and finesse it to to sort of mitigate that kind of thing? Because what I can see happening is if different nodes uh, send different transactions, then you're gonna increase the probability of open nodes. Uh, of open blocks because different miners are going to be mining different transactions. So if you have a way to tell the network, okay, well, these are the ones that have priority or the ones that don't, and price is an effective way to do it. It sounds a bit strange, but like, like if you've got a low frequency node, a node at low bandwidth, and say it can connect to 30 other nodes, it broadcasts a high-paying transaction to the 30 nodes rather than just try to broadcast 30 transactions to uh, one node that's essentially the difference in, in that our pricing could do. Uh, so i think that's an area i think we can explore because I, the instability i would expect would, would for what coinrace uh, was going to uh, would come up in the in the form of um, an increase in orphan lo- in orphan blocks. That would be, that the orphan would
1: be- blocks though uh, are a direct result of um, the inability to propagate uh, the new block within uh, the current um, the the current block time, can't you dramatically decrease the amount of orphans by increasing the block time?
3: Well, to a point. No, there's two different things. I mean, uh, if you're just looking at latency of the network theoretically, there's a point in which you actually get below which it doesn't help you no matter how much bandwidth you have. Uh, sure. And this is actually and this is actually what happened with Monero in its very very early days. So we had one minute blocks and we had a fair number of orphan blocks. It wasn't because it was saturating the bandwidth. It was simply because you, you have relativistic effects, to, to put it a, uh, in a simplistic way. I mean, a classic example, especially what's up in Prince George, is if uh, Ricardo mines a block and then I mine a block, well, how long does it take to transfer the data from South Africa to, to Western Canada? And and over the fiber optic networks, this is a significant lack. And and with, but by with, increasing
1: uh, the block time, you're, you're decreasing the probability that two people will mine a block simultaneously.
3: Well, what you're doing by increasing the block time is you're addressing that fundamental latency. And and, and so, yeah, to a point, this is right. But I think the problem is brought up here. It's a bit different. The problem is that you're replacing, uh, because you don't have enough bandwidth in, in certain nodes, you then what you're doing is you are, um, what you actually are doing is you are creating latency to make up for the lack of bandwidth. And so that's the issue there. And so then you get a situation where the you know you have a different set of transactions being sent to different parts of the network, basically. This is what I'm saying. So that so you could actually address the you could mitigate those type of problems, with pricing. I mean, that's one of the the options. I mean, rather than you simply try to do everything badly, just do the higher end, higher paying transactions well, as far as you can do as an node. Um, and that is the, the the fundamental problem because you're propagating, um, you, you're propagating transactions, but you also propagate. So, so again, I would say that you prioritize for the low ba- for the low frequency. World to to pro- propagate nodes that are actually mined over, say, low-paying transactions. That's a perfect example of of how you you would address that. So you have, I think, you have to look at what what is the priority to propagate, and what should be left behind. If you have a, a, a restricted upside/uplink uh, bandwidth, regardless of how big you know you grow, you're still going to have that situation.
2: My concern with that that as a solution is that users who want to pay low fee transact or have low fee transactions would be incentivized to just submit those transactions directly to high bandwidth nodes, and then kind of hope that those high bandwidth nodes will propagate the transactions to other high bandwidth nodes. And you kind of expect that um most of the hash power is gonna be in have high bandwidth availability. So like the especially the mining pools. So what happens is everyone on the margins kind of gets left out even though even though like the network is still working, but what happens is everyone on the margins kind of drops off. And then as, as the costs increase, the margins kind of creep in on the center and then kind of get this centralized centralization of who has the, who has all the, the the ability to process transactions.
3: Well, I mean, I mean, there is a danger in a sense, in the sense of what you're saying is if the, the miners can actually handle something that most of the network cannot, It's what you're you're saying. But the other problem that you have is is anyhow, how you restrict the higher paying players are going to be the ones that are actually going to get through. Um, If you're going to go to the trouble to find a different node and and all of that, you might just simply pay a higher fee. But I mean, there is an issue with with that, but I'm not so sure that it makes sense for a low bandwidth node to do a lousy job of the whole thing rather than do a good job on a smaller subset. And that's essentially what I'm saying. So the the there may be, I'm not sure if, I think it's a threshold before you start getting people to directly uh, submit transactions to miners. And it's it's not just uh, a peak situation. And the other thing to bear in mind is that, and this is one thing that, that a lot of people don't realize when looking at a, a network, so not just us. I mean, for example, if you were to look at Visa, you could have like a uh, 15 or 16 time difference between the peak uh, demand and the average demand. Like Visa historically, uh, or peak on uh, December 23rd. And so you have this massive surge in certain points. And then uh, at other points in time, it's, it's a lot lower. So you do have this big fluctuation. So the more likely result is someone's who a low transaction is just going to sit there and then it gets propagated. So yes, they don't get a delay. But I said, are they going to go to the trouble of directly putting it into a mining node? If they have such an urgency, they might just decide, well, I'll just pay a slightly higher fee. And so you get a pricing market. Yeah, the other problem, of course, it, and I guess that's, that's that's the classic example of Bitcoin. I mean, if you totally restrict the thing, then, then it totally centralizes it in other ways, such as uh, centralized ledgers as a as a second tier, for example, which is very prominent in Bitcoin right now. So, I mean, you, there are other problems that, that you trade off. But like I said, I, I'm just thinking that that's something that should be looked at from a research perspective, uh, whether we can actually optimize what transactions and what priorities if you have a scarcity of uh, like, uh, bandwidth. Um,
0: well, is, is this is this research that has already largely been done on Bitcoin?
3: Well, there is an article on the subject, but it's a reactive article. And this is the work by Peter Rizzo. Now, he argued quite legitimately in the presence of a block reward that often blocks, of course, minus to demand a higher fee because they're, they're, of their cost. And one of the major criticisms of this is that it's a very reactive. Maybe you sort of wait to the network to be on the verge of failure and then you react to it. Uh, but that's a, the biggest, the, the most significant case of research that I've seen in Bitcoin on this issue. I don't think anybody's really looked at the idea of saying, OK, if I've got a limited upward bandwidth, what is what should i be the priority from the benefit of the network that should be prioritized so if I can only put up like say 10 megabits of uh, upward bound of upload bandwidth how should I deploy those 10 megabits in order to 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 be as effective as possible and uh, and beneficial to the network that's the question that I think needs to be looked at if you have a limit what's the best way to do it
4: I think the best real world experiment is probably Ethereum at this point, where they're pushing disk I/O and and even CPU. So if you track their node uses, their node count over time, I believe it's been falling. Um, and I know uh, the, the interesting one to do this would be um, uh, what's a bit. Uh, see, I'm, uh, Jameson Lopp did a. Uh, he he does it every year. He tries to, to sync the blockchain to see how long it takes, and it, it's because he's a Bitcoin guy, so he's trying to show how fast it is. But you have to have a pretty decent system to sync with Ethereum. Specifically, your hard drive has to be fairly recent, and so does your I/O bandwidth setup. So, it. I guess I'm only pointing to that. That would be a very real-world example. I think what Co was trying to say, where um, it, we, there's a lot of focus on bandwidth, but the the CPU time and, and the validation is another issue with the cryptography. And we we can there's some of it that can be distributed to the cores, but um, like double spin checking, I think for the most part it has to be on a single core, and then there's disk I/O to do that. The way Monero is set up, so it's just tricky. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd be more cautious about saying the block size because of that. But
3: I mean, one of the interesting things about Ethereum is I haven't yet seen a significant change in the number of uncle blocks, which is their equivalent to orphan blocks. Hmm. I was just quite, now, one of the thing, the other things about Ethereum. Uh, and I think you raised a couple of really interesting points. The first one is that Ethereum is a really, really short uh, block time, something like about 12 seconds or 15 seconds, which it goes to uh, uh 90s point that if you really have a short block time, you really get into trouble. So that's a big one there. Um, and then the other one with, uh, well, the other one with Ethereum is, of course, this business of um well, the the business is, 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 is again, are, are the nodes falling behind or are they really centralized into high bandwidth nodes? I, I'm not sure that Ethereum is really that decentralized as most as many people think. I mean, it's just because of the short time you need to be really well connected to keep up with that network. Now, the next point, which is really interesting, is this question of an older node aging in place. And by that, I mean the amount of power that you need to sync from scratch it's way higher than what you need to actually just keep up with the network and from a CPU verification time however you're going to do that, that's also very significant. So if you're already in there, like if you have an old computer that's been syncing with uh, a Bitcoin for the last five years or 10 years or something, that's going to have a lot less trouble keeping up than if you take the same computer and say, "I want to sync the blockchain from from scratch. So there is an aging in place element to that too, but for the for the uh, technology.
4: I yeah, I think that's Co made that point in the GitHub issue as well about um yeah yeah thinking from scratch. It takes to catch up to <laughs> that that then point in time, and then of course yep. you have to then catch because next up because in the worst case you can't actually you can you can only keep pace. You can't catch you can't catch up. You can only stay in, or uh, you have to stay at the head. And if you're not at the head, you're behind forever which is another really, then you have to upgrade. So, but shouldn't you just lose nodes really? Yeah. If you don't mind, uh, I'd like to
0: quickly switch the topic. We've been talking about fees and this will obviously continue in the Monero research Live channels. It's been a discussion that's been going on for many months already. Uh, but it seems like it's one of those things will discussion on node efficiency ever end. No, it won't ever end. It'll just keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Lee, I noticed that you and Justin, other Justin, Justin Berman, were working on Monero LWS a lot more recently. Can you talk about the cool updates you've made on that side? And also a quick sentence on what LWS is.
4: Right, so we haven't... I don't think there's been many code updates other than uh, he wants to do a few patches and we've got to distribute work so we don't step on each other's toes. And actually... uh. I guess I can shout him on this. So Charlton actually wanted to add some feature, I think, cause he was asking about, um, it, it, there's a couple people using, it, I guess. So Monero LWS is a implementation of the my Monero API. So in theory, it is compatible with the my Monero, um, Android and iPhone app and desktop app. It'd be nice if there was a couple other implementations, at least for, I think I'm out, um, doing a real basic one in, the uh, and in Curses and in a terminal only, um, because we have, we have it in, in wallet two, but it's been tough to maintain wallet two doing. So I guess I should speak about what, what my Monero API does. Um, so the difference between say what the standard Monero does, the standard wallet talks directly to the Monero node and downloads all transactions. And then from that point identifies when you receive funds, um, and of course, when you want to send out, it makes uh, that wallet tr- communicates directly back to the Monero node. The LWS and my Monero stuff actually separates the two into a different process. So you have Monero node syncing to the network. The LWS is doing all the cryptography to identify the transactions for n number of users. N meaning you could be one plus. And then that way on your cell phone, you basically have an instant on type behavior. And in fact, my Monero does a push notification. We don't have this implemented because they haven't, as far as I know, I, I, I strongly suspect that. I think I've seen uh, some, some patches. I've actually followed their repo and I think they've seen some patches to that. They have an open source that API, but what you can do is you can have your Monero node on your really beefy machine and then you could have your super private ARM server uh, communicating with the monero node and syncing um, one plus cell phone users uh, transactions and then that can just distributes it to the cell phone or the desktop or whatever you have so the advantage there is if you have a low power device you don't have to um, constantly use cpu time to scan the blockchain um, so i know i think i don't want to I actually think CakeWild is doing a good job and, and there's benefits to it, but one of the downsides is that you have to turn it on, sync to the node, and then catch up and scan to it. You can't actually get any push notifications unless your cell phone is using CPU power all the time to constantly scan in the background. So, um, What's happening is that uh, Justin Berman has taken interest in it. Uh, the Charlton has been interested in it for some reason. Uh, I'm not, it, he's wor- He works with a hardware company. I'm not sure if they're planning to use it. Um, but it looks like there's going to be a few more possibly ZMQ features, maybe thanks to the charlatan. And then uh, Justin had a series of, of updates he wants to do um, to really make it. So right now it's functional, but I think there there's more like administration features that would be useful Um, because at the moment, Oh, and then he, (laughs) and there's no official, there's no, there's really no official build system. There's no test runners and all that. So there's like, it's functional, but there's it's not really ready to be merged, I guess, into the mainline. And that, that was another discussion we had, but um, there's a decent amount of code there. Now, the other big push Justin did was he told me he was doing this. I didn't realize that he was ongoing this, but he audited the entire code independently. Um, and I think his goal there was to say that there was at least a second person that reviewed it. That there wasn't like a backdoor or something weird in there. And so he went through the entire code base and documented it and actually wrote up. Uh, pretty decent write-up recently about how it works yeah um, i saw i saw that on uh he opened up merge requests or pull request with like a bunch of documents yeah, it, it's interesting it. someone telling you i mean uh, he wasn't doing this was interesting oh he's telling me how my own code works nobody <laughs> <laughs> uh, well no I, I i guess to the benefit it's like well he it he didn't ask me any questions so i assume that he understood how it worked i guess it was pretty straight i mean it should be straightforward um so the the other there's another implementation for the people interested called Open Manero. The difference is LWS uses LMDB uh and it was centered really heavily around ZMQ. So it hasn't been implemented but you theoretically could have LWSs I designed it so that you could almost have LWSs running on um have a farm of scan machines if you wanted to. So you would have one machine would be your front end and because of the way ZMQ works you could then push out scan requests to um, to a farm system that we're doing the scanning. No, I know that's pretty advanced, but like, this is something you understand. Like I was writing the My Monero back end and I saw like the deluge of just <laughs> CPU. It was yeah, like, Lee. They, they don't have
0: one computer probably. They have quite a few that do all the scannings.
4: Right. And so part of it was, it was kind of funky because I, I guess no one really minded by almost got to write a not a better version, but like well, lessons learned, how would you re- try to rewrite it? Um and so I I, I don't know I think part of the issue that my that Monero actually may take in some of the tech. I know they've taken in some of the, the the stuff I wrote in open source, they merged it back into whatever they're doing. Um but yeah so there's that's a big difference. Uh, open uh, open Monero is centered around MySQL so there's advantages to that because you can write a SQL query SQL query really quickly but the My Monero database uses LMDB, so it's a lot faster, but you have to end up writing C++ code to do any queries and changes. And I also did a pretty interesting debug feature, which dumps out everything in JSON and a bunch of stuff like that. But it um, it's just a trade. I mean, it, there was no sense in writing another one in MySQL, and I wrote it that specifically to be an enterprise fast version. I think that's why the Charlton was contacting me, because it sounds like there's a few people that want to be competitors now. Uh, now I think most of us, like Justin Berman, they want... Okay, you're running this for like ten people in your family. I think that's more of their vision, as opposed to I'm starting the next empire wallet business in Monero. <laughs> uh, but
1: uh,
4: uh, yeah, so we'll have to go back and and I can't remember all the features there. I, th- I think the big one was that we want to add in. Um, at least I wanted to, but it's such a pain. The Monero has done it, but it's like funky. Is the mempool scanning? So. Um. Uh, uh. One of the changes I have made over the past six months is that LWS now d- gets ZMQ push notifications. So as soon as a block appears, it'll immediately trigger a scan and immediately uh uh push uh update the database. But the trickier one is mempool scanning, and it's tricky because um you can store it in the database, but it's so much in flux. It's like if something happens, you're almost it's like rolling back the blockchain kind of thing, and it's you're not really, but there's no block, there's no block hash and there's no block height. And so it's really funky when you're doing with the database, like what do you even call it? Do you, or do you just leave it in memory only? But then the problem is if you flush the process and restart, the user then sees this transaction come and go. And that's one of the issues that my Monero had was like, they go, like, oh, we'll just do it in memory only. And then it was like, you know, Ricardo would do control C and, and then he'd get all these emails. Um, just cause one control C. Um so yeah, th- there's just stuff like that. Like we're, we're we just kind of smooth out the edges, I guess, but it's functional now. And, and I guess uh, people have been using it. So I guess it's, that's, that's helpful for me to know that, uh, we're not getting too many bad reports. So anyway, I highly recommend people do it Cause I think in the end, I think it's actually a better setup than what wallet two is doing now with, you know, no disrespect to the team that built that. But by having that separation, you get, you, you can get like the same exact feature set. It's just that you then have a flexibility of the scanning can be done on a different machine than, than either your wallet or your Monero demon. It's kind sort of, it's sort of like the scenario we were describing earlier with having a separate process for the Tor network. You have the same advantage where you have flexibility. And that's what I was discussing about farming things out. I mean, you can have a, you know, whatever flexibility you want or have multiple arm boxes or whatever, but, um, I, th- I think I think Justin, that's why you were also interested, because you had this flexibility where you could yeah. have one plus wallets. It was in fact, if you're just running one wallet, there's really very little difference, other than you get to choose where the scan occurs and when it how it occurs. Um, like open Monero was on demand, LWS is constantly in the background. So you even you can even choose between those two different variants if you want. Um, in fact, that's an intentional design decision by both of us. Uh, so if you wanted something more similar to wallet two, you go with open Monero. If you wanted something more enterprise you go with that so anyway if if the users don't know about it, i highly recommend checking it out we just have to get wallets for it really yeah it's you know from my
0: perspective on my own personal level i just want to have it running on a little stupid server in my own apartment Mm -hmm. so that way in theory i have my own wallet i hit connect i like open it up and it's like wow you are automatically synced with everything and oh look i can get push notifications that say i get a Mm -hmm. transaction open the wallet that's clearly nice from cakes head on though i don't know if we want to do
4: that with the view yeah. because of the privacy side now once Seraphis well, comes if, around if, oh right i'm sorry yeah we'll have to we'll have to like co talk about that but i was just gonna tell you about, like if you're running if you're running the setup where you're running like you are justin you're running it just for yourself the privacy is, is identical yeah that's great that's fantastic like for for me and if i run my own server at my
0: own house that scans my own wallet And nobody else is like that's fantastic. It's all of the efficiency with the downside that I have to run this extra server thing, right? Which is pretty lightweight, but I still have to set it up. So that's the that's the downside. Um, But if there was a way where you can like Seth would just make his new fancy guide that includes download the node and also LWS and like configure it with Cake Wallet or whatever, like that'd be great. But um, you know, Cake probably doesn't want to go the My Monero route of. Auto magically giving up your view key to like because that's really bad for privacy. So, when Seraphis comes around though, and we have all these different types of keys, if we just have the one that allows for us to have significantly less access to information but still have the huge upside, then that's that's where things start to get a little bit more interesting, where you no longer see the amount, you no longer see all sorts of stuff that you would have otherwise
4: seen. So, um, right, and and that's actually a big one that. That that leak is actually pretty big when they see the amounts because yeah, it helps huge. them. It's it's yeah. it's it's
0: bad. It's it's really bad. <laughs> Especially when you get to see the change output, you're like, right? You know, yep. you get to say, oh, well, you don't see outgoing unless you get yeah. change, and yep. then you're like, it's just, it's. Just
4: I, I tell you because because I actually yeah I had to tell the Miami Air team they should stop promoting it like that because you you know when you see the change you know exactly what happened. Um, and you know the real spin that way. But yeah, technically,
0: there is some potential for ambiguity, technically, but good luck arguing that in practice, there's no ambiguity, right. Um, so, yeah, so I am very interested in the fact that you built this to be able to scale in in that way. I mean, we already have it, to run like we already run very beefy Monero nodes for users in order to do all the scanning for everyone that talks to us. And there's no efficiency there at all because, they are like, we don't have the view key for them. They're just asking us for all this information constantly, right? To scan on yep. their own local side. So it's very inefficient.
4: No, but I should people. It's, take... <laughs> it's going to take a decent amount of work. But I mean, I, I set up internally, it uses ZMQ in process communication. That way you can just hit like change one string and you're doing inter process communication or even TCP communication. So you can even scale. Um, well, you probably wouldn't do in- inter process on one machine, but it was designed. Um, with the idea that possibly you can extend that out but um, the details of how you do that, <laughs> that would take a while but I because this is what happened this is literally what happened in the back end it was like this is a complete you're like oh my god this is nuts we had so many and another thing is when this, the price would go up that's when the server would just all get crammed at once right so that's another fun one
3: um, one thing I want to mention, with respect to Seraphis, I mean, this is one of the things of currently in the options that uh, in Seraphis, that is, which is optimal for this type of wallet scanning. If I'm not mistaken, maybe Coy has some comments on this, but I mean, that was one of the big arguments with the multiple keys is how can you do the scanning while minimizing the privacy exposure?
2: So the solution we settled on, Tevador and I, um, was, so... There are there are two view keys if I remember right. So one one key is called the find received key, and this this key lets you kind of um, narrow down which outputs could be yours. So it discards most most of them as being not yours. And then a small subset of them, it says these might be yours. And it also does a little bit of cryptog- cryptographic work. So that um, if you get these candidates, once you get these candidates, you can cheaply uh, look at them to figure out if you actually do own them. So the second key is the, uh, the view balance key. And so this view balance key can look at all of the outputs identified by the find received key, and figure out if you own them, look at the amount in the output, and uh, oh, and see if see if the output has been spent before. So it's like a it's like a fully featured view key which we don't have right now right now which is really nice. But the find received key. Can't can barely can barely figure out anything about the outputs you own. So at mo- at most, they can if 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 you receive multiple outputs to the same address, then the find received key will see that you, that all of those outputs um, are received to the same address, and they can and it can figure out which which addresses have which outputs, mm-hmm. but it won't it won't see which or it won't see the amount in those in those outputs. And also, we have some neat tricks to, to hide change outputs and self-spend outputs from, from the find received key. So if you receive a change output, the find received uh, wallet will, it'll, it'll, it'll flag the output as a possible, uh, as a candidate. But the the, the address that it sees, the candidate address that it sees, will be, will be uh, a fake address. So, so all of your change, all your change outputs will look completely different um, to the find received key. And the the advantage of this is, is that is you you break this kind of heuristic that lets that lets the the scanner figure out which, which of your outputs have been spent. Um, and is that, is that
0: more complicated than just indexing to the next available address? Like, you know, make this account as their change account. You know, I know you're thinking it less of accounts now, but no,
2: no, you you can, you can send change to any address you want and it'll all be hidden from the find received key. So okay. we, we use some like different, different cryptographic, uh, branches i guess logical logical that's, that's pretty clever though
1: <laughs> it,
4: it should be similar to what the view tag is kind of doing i would assume right where they um or at least a lot i mean not maybe not mathematically but logically speaking like y- you get y- you can filter out a subset you just don't know any information about that remaining subset really i yeah. think that's what he's suggesting so, so it's so. it's similar to just the first stage in the view tag if so those that, that have looked that up, like that. I think it, it may be slightly different, but logically it's got to be closer to that. What Phony's describing.
2: Uh, well, it's it's so there's the, the candidate set that the find is find received finds, And right. then in this candidate, set, each one has a nominal spend key. So this. Uh, the the find the view balance key is going to try to match or recreate this nominal spend key, and then it'll know that it owns the output but the for change outputs, the nominal spend key that the find received uh, wallet makes uh it's it's a it's a it's a junk it's a junk key so it it identifies the candidate but it makes a junk key and then down down in the the view balance wallet it it uses it uses this heuristic so it in all in all the transactions where you where your key images appear, it looks in those transactions and sees if any of the outputs are candidates identified by the find received wallet. And so for all of those candidates, it it uses a a separate derivation path to get the nominal spend key. So it's a separate derivation path from the normal path that you use to create normal outputs. And so with this special derivation path, then you can check if you actually own the output. But since it's a separate path, the uh, the junk the junk is always um, unique. It's all it, it never looks the same. So the the find received key can't use it to to learn anything about the change output. It's a it's a it's kind of a complicated protocol in cryptography. But it's uh, the at the end of the day, the find received while it can't connect change outputs together and uh, heuristically identify identify um, the, the the transactions where you are spending money at least not nearly as easily as you can right, right now.
0: So if you had um, to find receive yeah. key, if we're just walking through how a push notification would work, let's say you, you're not using. I don't
2: think. I don't think push notifications would work at all. And yeah, work. because you yeah, so it
0: would. It would be yeah, like, yeah. you may have received this
2: transaction, right? right? Every every one out of two hundred and fifty six outputs.
4: Okay. Uh-oh. So You'd get a lot of notifications. Yeah. Right? <laughs> this is why I was equating it to the view tag. You'd be yeah. You'd. You'd be giving. you sending the phone less stuff, but again, I think. What would probably have to do is change the API so you can select which mode you want, but it may be a little confusing for people. I don't know, but and you, the, the My Monero team may be well, well off about this, but
2: I, I I well there are ways around there are so there there's one thing you can do is you can tell the find receive key which of your addresses might receive funds, and then it can match the nominal spend key against these candidate addresses. So um, but this only, works for, this only works for normal outputs you receive. So you can get, get a notification for normal outputs you receive, but you wouldn't get a notification for change outputs or self-spend outputs or outputs that, that went to other, other addresses that you don't Got know about.
0: But if I was a merchant and I always reuse the same address or whatever for whatever reason, then that flow would potentially be compatible.
4: Yeah, you can, you can, you you should be able to mimic the same behavior. It's just that now you have an extra choice, and then that pushes some work on the API. And it sounds like the LWS is going to have a lot more features. <laughs>
0: you, you have a, you, your configuration <laughs> option is going to be like 700 <laughs> submenus. Um, well, but like, it can't do, be worse than Monero D. So. <laughs> you're right. It cannot be worse. But just, I mean, suppose you were at a charity, though, or, or you're a developer in, in the donation section on the bottom. You just put a static Monero address, for example. You could give that a meddress, address to the same uh server that has your uh find received key and then they could give you a push notification for
2: funds sent to
0: that specific address correct
2: yes i think that's right
0: yeah so as long
2: so as as long as you're not you're not sending it to yourself to that address okay because we have this <laughs> we you? have this special path that hides <laughs> the ones that you send to yourself
0: okay that's a good edge case to consider but i hope that no one would be angry that they didn't get a notification that they sent themselves money <laughs> Really hoping, really hoping that isn't a super critical feature for anybody that is otherwise insurmountable. Ugh. But it's better to make it hard for people to screw up the privacy on that, I would definitely think. So the different derivation path is definitely the right choice, <laughs> even we, we if it's breaking that functionality.
2: We did as much as we possibly could to hide uh, information from the find receive key. Yeah, and that's, so a way that's go, kind maybe. of the result here.
0: At that point, then we would consider like, okay, from Cake side, do we want to offer this, where you can give your fine receive key up, and Cake servers will scan them all for you, and it'll be much better than my Monero now, but it's still not as good as your own, and right, the difference large enough for you to care? Who knows? Ooh. But at least gets us in the direction of user experience coming at much lower privacy cost. So, Is,
3: isn't there a simple solution where you would just uh, notify yourself when you actually do the self spend? Like sending a PCT in an email. I mean, like, like sometimes I get the idea that that that, that could be easily implemented if, if that was really desired.
0: Well, the problem is suppose I had the same private key for cake wallet on my phone and the same private key for the GUI on my computer, and I send myself money on the GUI and then I write an angry letter about why I didn't see a push notification on my phone.
3: Well, it's <laughs> not right right to... But I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible, but I mean... Everything I guess that can happen can will and happen in self I could probably configure the phone to, to be notified also. I mean... You, you, could,
2: can, call, you could probably disable the, self, the self-spend <laughs> thing if you really got concerned about this. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's a, it's a,
3: it, it sounds me like it's the kind of thing that can be implemented in a more, shall we say, low-tech approach
0: but how am I supposed to be notified of my churn status, which is a very specific Monero privacy (laughs) gone to implementation for which I would just gladly hand this special scanning key over to someone else for these are very much compatible with each other. (laughs) I mean, what if I really care about my Monero privacy to the point where I go to churn, but I don't care enough such that I do share this key with someone else.
4: (laughs) So yeah, watch yeah. You churn then, I guess that's that'd, that'd be funny. Like, this my Monero is watching you churn.
0: <laughs> my Monero probably is watching some people churn today. You're no right, joke, right. they're probably <laughs> sending money in between different like my Monero wallets, thinking it's private. Like, oh, look, and it's like, you're right.
4: I, I hate to uh, say that, but you're right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, anyway, yes, that's very much an edge case about someone being angry that they don't get a push notification for said self-receive of like a self-churn or whatever but like it is it is what it is it's better that that is not (laughs) handed over in such a way that uh, the the server would be able to tell easily that was more fun than i thought i'd have on view key scanning Um, we have a few minutes left. Are there any other topics that people want to talk about uh, at this Monero I meet? Mean, there aren't really any other questions that came in. Most of them are related to what LWS is, but I think we pretty much addressed that it's a separate server that can optionally scan with the view key or some view key in the future with Seraphis that would make scanning uh, on your phone no longer necessary or whatever device you're using because this could run in the background and even could feed you information such as if you've provided the address, information about when you received transactions, stuff, stuff like that.
3: Yeah, that's one thing I wouldn't mind mentioning, coin cards trends. Oh, that's I mean, a good one. Make sure, give the
0: background on that article. They, yeah, mean, know basically, coin
3: cards, coin cards is essentially you can use Monero to buy prepaid value with a host of merchants. At uh, this time, if I understand correctly, this is available in the United States and it's available in Canada. And the idea is essentially you're buying gift cards. And depending on which one you pick, you may have to pay a fee or the, or the merchant pays the fee. And there's a certain ratio. And they have been having a very steady growth in Monero uh, usage in this particular platform. And, and every month, you see the the latest one is somewhere like 19% or something. which uh, are just behind Ethereum. And Bitcoin is about 335 so this is a, a really interesting wow. indicator of uh, growth in the retail market outside of D N N markets, which I would consider the first case. Actually, D N N markets to be an early indicator of growth in in the retail markets, but it's just, it's just an interesting topic. We um, definitely so there's definitely an indication of retail growth in Monero that I don't that may not be easily detectable yet, but that's a, that's what it's seems.
0: I mean, absolutely. More, more. It's very clear that people, retail users, use Monero for payments compared to most other cryptocurrencies. And and in this case, it was only Bitcoin and Ethereum that had more transactions. And we kind of every month, if you look at the history, we kind of swap back and forth with Litecoin. Where you know, we're <laughs> one month it's give or take, but it, it's pretty similar. And Litecoin has the better advantages of being on more exchanges, has been around for longer, and is also free effectively to send money around. So it's cool to see Monero being a newcomer comparatively uh, come up, but it just shows people do care about spending privately, even if it's on fewer you know, exchanges and services. In CoinCard's case, where they accept both, Monero has very competitive use.
3: But it's a very totally interesting application because, first of all, we, we, we went like Litecoin is a ten percent, a 107 percent of one nineteen, which is quite a diversion from the past history where we were kind of neck and neck with them. But the one interesting application of this, which a lot of people are not realize, is that a lot of these cards can be uh, purchased digitally on a phone for an arbitrary amount in a range. So you actually create a situation where somebody goes to say Lowe's. And immediate loads is a great example. They buy, say, 130, you have to calculate how much that is. And while they're sitting in the lineup, they can go there, send Monero to Coin cards, generate a loads card for the roughly the amount or a bit above the amount that they're going to pay. And by the time they get to the, the cash register, they have got the card ready, and then you scan it at loads and pay for their merchandise. I mean, this is, this is an example of what I'm talking about. So it's a very interesting hybrid between a use of a, um, uh, a prepaid value, basically a, a gift card, and an actual Monero payment. Now, the, the downside to all of this is actually quite expensive for the merchant. But um, it's very interesting because that's the classic example. If you have a digital card, you can decide the amount uh, and then put essentially whilst you're waiting online. Prepare them. Pay, prepare the monetary transaction. Now, you got What you have to do, of course, is figure out exactly how much you have with the card and what yeah. all the taxes and everything is going to be. So that's not so simple. Or be prepared to top it up with a small amount of cash or something. Like that if you don't, want, yeah. if you want to stay private, yeah. But it's basically a one-use uh, card. So, so that's the interesting element to it. But it's still, you know, I can see the application of this. Particularly Definitely. in the month of January, which I thought was interesting because that's after the big holiday spending season.
0: I don't know. Yep, a good point. Yeah, I, I think we'll be. Coin Cards added Monero, what, less than a year ago? Somewhere like that? About a year ago, roughly. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's really exploded to be a, a substantial part of their business. They're sponsoring Monero Topia, for example. So they very much clearly are are already giving oh, yeah. back and see the value of, of supporting Monero. So I think that's really good. We need more people to do stuff like that. So I hope they stand as just one example of a success story <laughs> of accepting Monero in the space. Uh, and I hope others follow. Um, any other final questions, comments before we wrap this up? Very interesting. Monero meet this, uh, this month in my opinion, nothing at all, nothing at all going once going twice. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. I had a lot of fun. I'm Justin. We had need money, 90 Arctic mind co and VT nerd. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you again next month and keep using your Monero. Use it to buy things. You know, if you must make a cryptocurrency payment, use Monero, don't use anything else. That's a stupid idea. <laughs> so, all right, take care everyone. Uh, I hope you have a great month. See y'all later.